I am. Well, I want to show you a picture of this guy. My German is a little rusty, but Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he said these words, reportedly his last words before he died, this is the end, but for me, it's just the beginning of life. And he said those words to a fellow prisoner in the Flossenburg, Germany concentration camp before the Gestapo took him away to be executed. He was just 39 years of age. And this German, Lutheran, pastor, theologian, leader of the confessing church had this pressing question on his mind. It was on his heart. Who is Jesus? He was taken away to be executed because he was standing up in that totalitarian world of Nazi Germany and he was executed supposedly for his role in one of the plots against Hitler. But this question he couldn't shake. Who is Jesus? And it was so decisive for him. And friends, it's just as decisive for us in our day, in this world, as it was for Bonhoeffer back in his day in that totalitarian regime of Nazi Germany. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus? Now, without a doubt, this is the most pressing question that you will ever answer. It is a pressing question for our hearts and lives. It's the most debated question, after all, uh, for the last two millennium. Ever since Jesus came on the scene and he began to preach, he ushered in the kingdom of God in Matthew 4, 17. He gave these powerful discourses. He raised people from the dead. He healed the leper. He fed the 5,000. All of these amazing things. And every time people were astonished and they said, who is he? Who is this guy? Who is Jesus? And this is not an academic question, it's not a philosophical exercise, but it is a question that does demand your attention and an answer from you. Now, for a long time, people have been asking this question. Throughout the New Testament, one after another came and they pondered this question. In fact, in the beginning there, we know in Luke's gospel, John the Baptist was seated in prison. And he sent word through the disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one that we've been looking for or should we start looking for someone else? Are you he? Are you really the one? We know on another occasion, Jesus was in a boat and they were out in the Sea of Galilee and the disciples were there, many of them. And it was Perhaps like a day, like any other day, but on the Sea of Galilee, we know it is, you know, in that position to have storms. The topography and, and the location and the sudden storms can develop. And apparently this was a ferocious one because there in Mark's gospel, these veteran fishermen that had been out there many times before, they suddenly think that they are going down with the ship. 
and they're all going to die. Jesus is apparently sleeping through it all in the boat somewhere. And these disciples are thinking, maybe we better wake him up. Now, I don't know exactly what they were thinking he might do about the storm. But it seemed like a good idea that we are about to die, so we better wake him up so he knows what's happening. And they wake him up, and Jesus speaks to the storm, peace, be still. And immediately the wind stops, and the sea becomes tranquil. And the disciples are looking at one another, who is he? Who is this guy that even can command the wind and the sea? To stop. Who is he? You know, a couple of weeks ago here at this Easter period on Palm Sunday, we were reading that scripture there in Matthew 27, and Jesus is brought there. It's toward the end of his life, his earthly life, and he's brought before Pontius Pilate, and he's kind of quizzing him and examining him, and he says to him, are you really the king of the Jews? Who are you? People for years have been asking that question. And everywhere he went during that three and a half year period of his ministry, people were really posed with that question, who are you? So we're in a sermon series right now. We're calling it I Am, and we are posing the same question to you. Who do you say that Jesus is? Who is Jesus to you? Who do you say that I am Jesus said. And we ask this question because it's being asked here for the two millennium. And during this series, we want to really challenge you to what is your reference point? Where is your moral compass set to? What guides your life? Who is the Lord of your life? Who, in fact, if you would get real, if you would really be honest with yourself, you know, in our world, in our day, everybody likes to have authenticity Everybody wants to be really relevant and be real and honest. And if you were to do that, who do you worship? In fact, who do you say that Jesus is? It's the most pressing question of our time. And we want to invite you to rededicate your life to God. We want to invite you to really be challenged with that question and to set your life upon the rock of Jesus Christ. Everything depends on your answer. Your relationship to God is largely determined by your attitude. And we ask this question because it's been ringing in the hearts of humanity for two millennium. And this same question posed was the one to the religious leaders, the Pharisees of the day, when Jesus here healed that paralytic. It was the same question posed to the disciples, and it's the same question that we are confronted with here in the 21st century. Who do you say Jesus is. Now, I know that appearances can be deceiving. Isn't it true that oftentimes that you run into people and they say one thing, and yet a couple years later you realize they're doing something else? Appearances can be deceiving. Do we have any John Wayne fans here? Any John Wayne fans? Oh, we got some hands. I didn't know anybody would know John Wayne, but I've got some people that I know love westerns, those old westerns. I've had people in church, they, they, they like recorded all the old westerns and they just love that. And I've got a couple people that I know that love John Wayne. And of course, John Wayne's no longer with us, but he was a gunslinger, always portrayed on the big screen as this gunslinger. He would pull out a rifle, he would get out his revolver and he'd start shooting away. 
And in fact, his last film, The Shootist, he was portrayed as one of these Western gunslingers. And he was interviewed during his life about all of this pulling out his gun and his rifle and a six-shooter. And he said, you know, I can't hit the side of a barn. But he said, I can twirl a revolver, and it looks really cool. Well, we know a lot of people that can really twirl the revolver, and it looks really cool. They wow us. But yet when you get down to it, authentically, they are not who they say they are. We often trust what we see more than what we read and what we hear. And maybe that's why TV, reality TV, is such a hit this day. Because people want to see the real thing on display. And faith is a matter of appearance, too. And so it's important, it is vitally important, it's absolutely paramount that you answer that question, who do you say I am? I want to share a story here out of God's words over in Matthew 16. They're going to have the words here on the screen, but an incredible thing took place here in this location. And in fact, here in Matthew 16, it says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, well, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. Now, Jesus had ventured into this territory known as Caesarea Philippi, and it's an amazing area. And one of the highlights, I think, for me, being to the Holy Land with many of you, it, it was just incredible. You go to this area, and there was this nice, tranquil, like, little stream of water, little waterfall, and you're looking up this big facade there, and presumably Jesus is in this area where he says this statement. Upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. And then you go on this trail, and you go out and look, and you realize this is an area where there's a lot of uh, worship of idols, Baal worship, this agricultural kind of worship, pond or Panaeus, this, this area where there's something like 14 different temples that have been erected, all these different kinds of beliefs, this cultic kind of thinking and different views of uh, religion, religiosity, and all these different kinds of things that people were embracing, an amazing kind of area. Herod the Great had built a temple there to Caesar Augustus, and it was just kind of that area where there were these shrines and weird kind of sacrifices and different things going on, and it's in this venue that Jesus says, I'm going to ask people, I'm going to ask the disciples, who are the people here saying, I am? And so that's the first thing you know about this scripture, the public's response. And Jesus really poses this question, first of all, in two distinct forms. And the first one is to find out from the disciples, well, who do the people here in the area say I am? 
who am I? And of course, they say, well, some say, Jesus, you're John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah. Some say Jeremiah, and others just think you're a pretty cool dude, a great prophet. And you know, isn't it the same way it is today? There are so many different understandings and misconceptions about Jesus and who Jesus is. And of course, the disciples, they could have hearkened back to what some others had said about Jesus, like over in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, where some of the people said, well, he is just a wine-bibber, he's a glutton. Or they could have said what some other people said in John's Gospel, chapter 7, where he said, well, he's demon-possessed. This guy's doing things that we've never seen before. But those kinds of accusations were hurled at Jesus then, and I've got news for you, they are hurled at Jesus today. It's amazing today at the number of people with all the amazing body of evidence that we have that are denying the historicity of Jesus, that he didn't even live. It's amazing today the number of people that deny that he even rose from the grave. It's all just one big fabrication. It's amazing today the number of people that deny that God loves us so much that he can possibly have his very own son die a gory death on a cross. That's just cosmic child abuse. I don't believe it. People today are posing all kinds of different things. It's like deja vu all over again. In fact, every generation has it not been challenged with this question. Now, people, of course, have drawn comparisons with Jesus and other people. Some have really reckoned that Jesus was just like Mahat Gandhi. And they see all these similarities in both their lives. Others have said, well, he's just like Socrates. Of course, Socrates, he, he really gathered a band of disciples he, he really lectured and, and tried to improve humanity, and he died unjustly. They, they both did, and of course, Socrates left the world unchanged and his teaching largely forgotten. Whereas on the other hand, Jesus totally turned this world upside down. The New Testament is the best-selling book of all time. There's been more books written about Jesus than anybody else. And of course... Socrates was found to be human, but Jesus raised from the, get, from the grave and found to be the Son of God. I wonder today, who do you say Jesus is? A second thing here is, after he asked this question to the disciples about what the people are saying here around me and in this area, he poses a second question. And this time we find Peter's response. Peter's response, having heard what Jesus had uh, asked and heard the response about what people were saying, he asked the disciples, he said, well, who do you fellas say I am? Who do you guys say I am? Now, Jesus here apparently asked this question more than once. In the Greek, it's the imperfect tense that's used. And so it's carrying this thought. He continually asked them. So he's constantly asking him, well, who do you guys say I am? Now, maybe he had to ask it more than once because there was a silent period and they didn't respond back. Or maybe he ran around the circle and asked each disciple. I don't know. But Jesus confronted each of them. They were now forced to make a decision for themselves. And right there, they were put on the spot. You know, your life is not made by dreams. 
We all have a lot of dreams. We have a lot of things on our bucket list, a lot of things that we want to get to, a lot of things we'd like to accomplish in life. But your life is really made by the choices you make. And it, it may be true that there are two sides to every sheet of flypaper. But believe you me, it makes a difference to the fly what side it lands on, right? Choices have consequences. I find it interesting here in this text that it's only recounted here that Peter is the only one that piped up here and said anything. It doesn't say anything about the other disciples. But Peter says, well, you are the Christ. In fact, notice here, he didn't wait for a poll or survey to be taken. He didn't wait for any kind of consensus to build, uh, but he piped up, and he speaks for himself. In fact, the best we know that the other 11 disciples, or whatever number of disciples were actually there, they never said a word. And when Peter speaks, he speaks for himself, not on behalf of the group. He says here, well, I say that you are the Christ, the Son, of the living God. Right then in this text, he professes his faith in Jesus as God's son. He stepped out in faith. I wonder today if you've stepped out in faith. Now I got a picture of the Ferris wheel here. This thing was built back in the late uh, 1800s. You know, these things are all over the place now. But back in the day, this was a big deal. George Ferris, and I don't think he was the first inventor. I think some other people had actually uh, you know, built one of these contraptions. But anyway, you know, he got the notoriety for it. And he completed this thing, and he was this great engineer. And on the day uh, that it was finally unveiled and everything, he invited a newspaper reporter over to ride on the thing and his wife, and they were going to get on board. It was a, uh, a, a nice day in the middle of July, and there was a stiff wind. And it was just a rotating that wheel, and of course, nobody wanted to ride this thing. You know, we had a lot of late adopters on this thing. Nobody wanted to get on this thing. Is it really going to, you know, rotate around? Am I going to be safe? And it was really only when they got on it, the three of them, and rode it, that people said, oh, okay, it looks, it looks good. But of course, George Ferris got on board because he embraced the scientific Research. He says, I know science, I know physics, I know math. I've constructed this thing and it's going to work. And of course, his wife, she trusted her husband. And the newspaper reporter said, well, I'm going to go along. But it was only after the three of them actually boarded this thing and got on board and rotated around and that they could be said that they embraced, that they had faith. I know today that, you know, the same split in public opinion is occurring in this question, who do you say Jesus is? We're faced with this time in and time out, every century, every era, every decade. And just like when Jesus rode in to Jerusalem that day, there was a band of people that were really giving him the red carpet treatment, laying down their coats, the... The palm branches were flying. They were shouting, Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna in the highest. But there was another group that wasn't part of the welcoming committee. They weren't on the bandwagon for Jesus, and they were skeptical, and they had all kinds of questions that way were posing. So I want to press this question upon you today because there are too many people who are well-informed experts 
There are far too many people out there who seem to know everything, and they're all set. I went out with a financial advisor one time, and he was saying, I meet with most people, and they just tell me they're all set. They've already got it all together. And I find that to be true about so much in life. Everybody says, I'm all set. I've already made up my mind. But have you really encountered this question deeply in your heart? Have you really pondered this question that Jesus posed to the disciples and he poses to you? Who do you say Jesus is? I mean, if you say that Jesus is just another in a long line of prophets, you may be paying really no more attention to him than maybe Jeremiah or Joel or anybody like Isaiah. If you say that Jesus was just a great teacher, well, there may be some of the teaching that you accept. There may be other teaching that you may discount. If you say that Jesus is just another religious leader like Moses or like Buddha, you may end up following one of those guys rather than following Jesus. But if you say Jesus is the Son of God, if you say Jesus is the King of the Jews, if you say Jesus is the Savior, it makes all the difference in the world about how you conduct your life and about how you live. So who is this guy? Everybody needs to know for themselves. And that's why, thirdly, I want to say to you today, what is your personal response to that question? What runs your life? I know you can't see it there really well, but this is a marker. And uh, I know they, they call it Meads Ranch out in north central uh, Kansas, where there's a little disc there that was placed way back a long time ago where the oceanic, uh, National Oceanic Survey, the federal agency, their job is to locate the exact position of every point in the continental U.S., as well as down in Mexico and Canada. I mean, they can get this thing down to the very inch. And there's a little disc there out on this ranch in north-central Kansas, I'm told, that it's where the 39th parallel crosses the 90th to 80th meridian, running from Canada to the Rio Grande. And ocean liners and commercial planes all come under the survey. And in fact, the government can't build a dam, or they can't build a bridge, or they can't launch a missile without using this geodetric, this, this reference point, right down to the inch. And I mean, if you just kind of go by guess about it, or approximation, location by approximation, that could be disastrous. There was an article there some time ago where this, this bridge was being built up in Pennsylvania, and they had a couple of crews working on it, and they were coming at it from both sides, and they got kind of toward the middle, and they realized they were 13 feet off because the both crews were using a different reference point. And you know, a lot of times in life, you are set to a different reference point. And you're not standing on the rock, you're not standing on the truth. And so I ask you today, who do you say that Jesus is? I'll never forget there, years ago, uh, you know, I've had different experiences flying. I'm some, sure some of you, but there, I was on a flight as a, as a kid, and there was a lady on board that evidently was petrified. We all thought she was a deaf mute. She didn't say a word, but she just gripped that seat. And boy, when we got off, she got off there. We flew from L.A. to Chicago, and she literally kissed the ground. And she talked nonstop. She was so worried. A lot of people have a fear of flying. 
there was a lady who had a fear like this, a fear of flying, and she was greatly troubled. She, she really had to fly. She didn't have a car, not a way to get there. It was too far of a distance to drive or get on a bus. She really needed to fly. It was important for her to do that. And she studied everything about aviation. She watched some things about it. She found the shortest route. And she went there and she interviewed some of the employees, agents at the ticket counter, even had some opportunity to talk to some pilots and really quiz them and ask them, is this safe for me to get on this? She did all kinds of investigative work, even finding out how safe. She looked at the safety records of the airline. Has this thing really been maintained? But on the day in which the plane was to take off, she had bought her ticket, but she could not bring herself to get on board. And she could only stand there and watch the plane take off and taxi down the runway. Friends, with this question, you've got to get on board. Who do you say Jesus is? It's a potent question.